I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this. Talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. You're listening to Muses and Stuff. This is the podcast that's all about the dolls. They were the groupies, the wives, the girlfriends, and the muses who played such a huge role in rock and roll history by simply being themselves. They were sweet, sexy, brave, and powerful. They went after what and who they wanted, and they made no apologies. We are your hosts, Shanti and Lynx. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hey there, this is Christian Swain from the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Rock and Roll Archaeology? What's that you say? We are a podcast network dedicated to digging deep into the amazing music that exploded out of the second half of the 20th century. We believe the music, culture, and technology wove together, and it is an important story of history as, say, the Italian Renaissance or the Impressionists of Paris. We have six shows, all with a different side of this incredible time. Rock Talk with myself and host Peter Ferrioli, Real Rock, and that's R-E-E-L, hosted by Andy King. Vinyl Snob with the legendary Dave Whitaker. Rock and Roll Librarian with the headmistress herself, Shelley Sorensen. Deeper Digs in Rock, where I interview famous rock and roll personalities and the people who scribe the times and events. And finally, our full telling of the history of rock and roll, the Rock and Roll Archaeology Podcast, which started it all. Find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So let's get back to Between the Sheets of Rock and Roll with Shanty and Lynx and Muses and Stuff. I know 
We've got our tea. We've got our cat sleeping beside us. Exactly. What more do you need? Chester's here. I actually posted posted a picture on Instagram saying that uh, my two favorite cats are going to be here tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Hanging out. Well... I can't yeah, think of good a good cat vibes here tonight. Good cat vibes, peace cat vibes. Um, I'm really looking forward to this. It was a very fast paced day, so I'm uh, like, I'm gonna put my feet up and listen to a story. This is definitely a story. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it would be really fun to do a m- little more modern since we've been doing kind of 70s ladies lately a lot. Uh, I'm gonna do Scott and Mary Wayland. I love them. I don't know if you're into the Stone Temple Pilots at all, but growing up, I was like a super grunge kid. and Like, it's not that I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Okay, n- no. I need to rethink this. They were constantly when they there. Came, yeah, like yeah. like when I would see Stone Temple Pilots on like Much Music, I'd be like, this is a good song. But I've never bought an album. I've never done any deeper um, yeah. research. Before we get into it, let's do a speaking of much music. <laughs> speaking of. Speaking of much music, this Wednesday. Yes. I'm going to be at um, the Toronto Reference Library mm-hmm. as a part of a great debate. This is so exciting. And we're going to be debating. It's going to be myself and seven other um, panelists talking about what album they think really is the quintessential Toronto record. record. And so the Much Music part comes in is that one of the panelists is Master T no for way! Much Music. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Master T. Yeah. Memories. Was he on like a bunch of Much Dance albums, like tapes? Like not albums, but CDs and tapes? Um, no, I don't think so. No? Isn't he just a VJ? Which one of the VJs were? I don't know. Okay. I thought uh, Master T was just like a he VJ. was a VJ, but then there was you know those much dance albums. I and thought like... I thought that was like Master P. Oh no, I got my <laughs> masters mixed up. No, maybe I do. I don't know. <laughs> it might have been Master P. It's a Master T. We need to look into this. Maybe they're Guys, the same it was person. A long time ago, we were children then. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, this. Um, I do remember he's going to be on the panel and a bunch of other people that do musical stuff. Um, If you want to come, it's Wednesday. It's actually the same day that this episode is going to air. So hopefully you're listening to the episode in the morning and then you can go to the Eventbrite uh, website or go to our Facebook page and I'll have linked up the event there. The library would love it if you RSVP'd this event so they know that you're coming. Let Master T know that you're coming to yes. the debate on Wednesday night. Yes, I'm hoping to be there as well. And I, I would rather Lynx was debating. I really I want I wanted, to be on that I panel. wanted to debate, but I'm currently scheduled <laughs> at work and I'm trying to get out of it, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll it was see like, what <laughs> we got the invitation. It was like, does one of you want to come on? <laughs> yes. Can we come on and count as one person? <laughs> no, it'll be fun. It'll Six be o'clock, good. Toronto Reference Library. Come watch me debate Master T and others. And uh, there's a good album here, so I like your choice. Oh, yeah, I can tell them. Can you? Yeah, oh, yeah I guess because it's the I'll, same I'll, day. I'll, it's the same day, and I probably will announce it. And uh, we're going to be doing, your muses are going to bring you the Teaches of Peaches. 
so good. Have you have you learned? Have you learned? I've definitely from the teachers? learned from the teachers of peaches. So there you go. Yes. So yes, going back to the nineties. Now let's go back to the nineties. Actually, let's go back a little further to when Fine by Me Mary was born. Yep. She was born May first, nineteen seventy five. Uh, her parents had met in San Diego pretty much right out of high school. Mary's mom discovered she was pregnant with her on her 18th birthday. So they immediately got married. Didn't really have time to discover that they probably weren't the greatest match. But that's what you did back then when you got pregnant. Uh, back in for, 1975. Yes. For most of her childhood, she lived in somewhat poverty. Uh, her dad took any job he could, but apparently was also um, battling addiction issues with crystal meth and stuff when she was a kid. So he was really in and out of the situation a lot, you know, come and going. Uh, her mom would make extra money by walking the stroller all day and collecting cans and bottles. And they lived on food stamps and collect coupons. And Mary even talks about how she's still like an expert Couponer, couponer. I will always prefer to get my clothing delivered to me in a trash bag from somebody else who no longer wants yeah. this clothing. Yeah, um, I feel like unless you grow up with like crazy riches, or when you're not, you're not thinking about money. Like you forever think about money, mm-hmm. even if you know you're doing well. If you can save, you, sh- you might as well save. I'm right now wearing my great uncles he's deceased but his sweater it's a lovely sweater too i was uh when you gave me a hug when i came in i was like oh this sweater's nice (laughs) (laughs) so when mary was three her brother johnny was born uh they moved to tacoma washington it was there mary discovered her first two addictions which she says are sugar and codeine based cough syrup i hear you girl yeah well at least with the sugar uh Tacoma was a pretty depressing place. It was always raining. They were kind of trapped inside. Uh, Mary sort of began showing signs of depression. And uh, on bad days, she'd sneak gulps of the syrup to feel better. Uh, Things weren't going very well out there. And her mom decided that they should all move back to California. So they ended up living for a time with her grandma, Rosa. Mary learned Spanish since her grandma only spoke Spanish. And her dad wasn't completely out of the picture, though. He he stayed there, but he ended up coming back to California. And it was, you know, a regular fight and makeup, fight and makeup for her parents. So that's what she kind of lived with as representation for uh, relationships. I was just going to say, are there is there going to be some foreshadowing here? <laughs> I was thinking definitely. it. I think the listeners were thinking it. We're learning here. Yes. So by age seven, Mary was helping to balance the checking accounts, and she knew math skills far advanced for her age. She was also scheming on ways to get money for the family. At nine, she started her own candy sort of popsicle shop out of the window of their living room. (laughs) She was smart. She priced things five cents less than the local ice cream trucks, and she ended up making a small fortune. And she also participated in this super awesome thing where libraries, she would go to reading events and they would be rewarded with coupons for fast food, coupons for uh, anything that they kind of needed. 
Like if they brought in a little reading log that was like, look, I read five books. I, yeah, this I week. don't know how it works exactly if like you had to read while there or what, but she ended up, of course, reading a lot as a kid because uh, of the, the rewards. Is that why you read? I, the rewards? I, <laughs> <laughs> I just read for the stories. Me too. Not for the coupons. No. I would have. Um, she does talk about living off food stamps and um, donations and charity drives and stuff. And she says that now, because she she has experienced how terrible they can be, she always makes sure to donate the best organic fruits and vegetables and things that you normally can't find at uh, charity drives to help families that are like hers or that used to be like hers. So since radio was free, music was always a major part of their home life. Uh, for her fifth birthday, she got a fold-up portable record player, which she really adored. I think she said I Love Rock and Roll by Joan Jett was her first record. Um, I was with a group of grade sixes and sevens this week, and one of the questions was, what is your prized possession? And mm-hmm. one girl said a um, record player that looks like a suitcase and you uh, open it and it used to be your grandmother's. <laughs> so. A little groupy in the making. Mm. Uh, yeah, she had this really cute um, quote here. She said, most nights I fell asleep with headphones on and before my eyes were 100% open in the morning, I'd have already inhaled at least three songs. The majority of them ridiculously loud rock. I require large large amounts of caffeine and an earthquake of music to get me going and I'm filled with gratitude every day for all the artists who got me out of bed and back into the world. Mm-hmm. And she also says that her mom and her would dress up and play rock star where they would kind of do their makeup and their hair and pretend to be Stevie Nicks like singing in their hairbrushes. And So uh, in 1978 her parents were divorced but they remarried in 84 in 1986, Mary was 11 and her sister Julie was born. Uh, her mom began a daycare center in their home. Um, in 1989, her parents divorced for a final time. Her mom moved them to um, Coronado, Cor- Coronado Island in San Diego, which was sort of like an affluent neighborhood uh, with really great schools. And her mom was sort of like, this is our chance. Like, we're breaking out of you know what we know and mary entered seventh grade which was also her seventh school at this time holy moly yeah so from day one she dreaded it uh for the first month she talks about how she was so stressed that she'd throw up every morning she was bullied uh for kind of having a lack of money uh she tells a story about them kind of taking the tag out of her sweater (gasps) and being like oh it's fake and Things like that. Um, oh, she also, tough. yeah, she avoided eating at school so she wouldn't be seen in the free lunch line. So over time, she sort of adjusted and made a few friends, but never ones that she would call like best friends, just sort of more acquaintances. Uh, she was, she also fiercely hid her financial situation as best she could. She did have a few resentful moments where they'd be hanging out at the mall or something and her friends would be shopping at like the gap or contempo or places like that. And she would be making excuses like, Oh, well I'm saving up for something big. Or, <laughs> um, but the, the fun fact about that is in a few years, she'd be modeling for all these stores that, oh. <laughs> yes. So 
being a teenager and going through all this emotion, she really put her hurt and her anger on her mother. You know, you ruined my life bringing me here. Like I hear that. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people kind of go through that it's in their like, teenage yeah, years. Terrible to my mom in high school. Yeah. And she'll like sometimes still bring it up. And I'm <laughs> like, mom, I'm so sorry. Because like I had actually a similar thing. Like yeah. we grew up with you know not not much we had each other we had what we needed yeah and then i went to a super rich high school where like they lived in in, in actual mansions yeah and we're paying you know and at and at the time that i went to high school i mean it still is actually like 50 dollars for a t-shirt and i couldn't believe it mm-hmm. and um it was funny because actually my last year of high school that i graduated for the first time i had a, i had people from my high school over at my house and I had the grad party at my house in my backyard in my garage (laughs) and it was just like I don't care anymore (laughs) yeah and uh, we had a blast and they and like everybody had a great time at this party yeah I definitely relate to all that as well like I definitely grew up in a very wealthy neighborhood and Mm -hmm. I was not I was the non-wealthy kid at the school (laughs) that's for sure um when she was 13 uh, she started to get drunk and really loved it. And uh, she, she tells a story about the first time where she came home and her mom busted her. And her mom, her mom took photos of her, like, wasted to show her, like, this is what drunk looks like. And she made her, like, this gross breakfast to eat when she was hungover and ch- trying to kind of deter her from it. But unfortunately, it didn't really work. And she also started kind of skipping school and smoking marijuana and... Um, her mom had begun dating, which I think also kind of added fuel to the fire of their relationship. Mary talks about how she really lived in a black cloud most days and she would cry herself to sleep at night. And there was one time where Mary clearly knew something wasn't right and was trying to seek help. She called a suicide hotline and tried to explain how you know, she just dreads the mornings and she just doesn't want to get out of bed and it's it's a battle just to get up. And um, from the other end of the line, she heard these magic words. The woman said, I have a solution for you. And then the woman followed it with, you need an alarm clock. That'll get you up in the morning. Oh, no. Yeah. I don't know, like, how this woman got a job oh. at a suicide hotline, but uh, the next day, Mary ended up taking an entire bottle of Benadryl at school. Uh, they took her to the hospital. They poured liquid charcoal down her throat. They sent her to a, um, a therapist. I don't think it, at that point it did all that much to help her, though. When Mary was 14, her mom was uh, dating a man named Bob. One night he came home. Mary's music was on full blast. He charged into her room and he picked her up over his head and dropped her. So Mary freaked out. That guy. She ran to the kitchen. She got a knife, told him, like, stay away from me. She ran out of the house. I think she, like, ran barefoot to a hospital that was nearby. And um, her mom came and the police came and settled everything down. But the next day at school, she went... and to the principal or the guidance counselor or something and told them what happened. But the police had already been informed and they came to school and in front of everyone arrested Mary. Oh God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The eighties. Yeah. Oh, the eighties. 
um, they took her to a juvenile hall. They uh, stripped her naked, ca- calling her a suicide risk, and stuck her in a room for the night. Um, apparently, did they give her clothes? I don't. I don't know. I don't think so. What? I think eventually she convinced them that like, I'm not a suicide risk and everything, but um, she was put in a room naked for, for at least a while. Uh, her mom had d- talked to the police and she had agreed with them that Mary needed like a dose of reality or something. And they were, they, her mom agreed for them to drive her past juvenile hall to like put a fright in her not put her in juvenile hall. Uh, luckily, someone there realized Mary shouldn't be there, and they called her mom. She picked her up the next day. Uh, of course, Mary was very angry and hurt with her mother for doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and for good reason. That's not just teenage hormonal being no, pissed at your mom. That's no. like... So she almost ended up in a mental hospital at the time because she kind of... You know, when you're a teenager and you want to up the stakes. So when her mom took her out, she was like, take me to a hospital. And her mom did. And when they were sitting there, they both had this like moment of realization, like, let's not, let's not do this. (laughs) And they went home and they uh, got her out of that situation. Luckily, Um, a good thing did happen, though. Her mother dropped Bob. Good. Yes. Good riddance. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So when Mary was 14 things began to turn for her. Uh, She began taking classes at a modeling school called Barbizon. Barbizon? Uh, She would hear ads which talked about teaching etiquette and confidence and assurance and self-improvement, things like that. And that's really what attracted her. The modeling part was never really of interest to her. Um, It almost didn't happen either because there was a $1,500 tuition and she was told she needed braces. But the woman who ran the company... Uh, saw a model to be in her mm-hmm. and loaned her the tuition and Mary worked at the wow. San Diego Zoo as a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle uh, to pay for her braces. <laughs> oh, wait. So they covered up that beautiful face with a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle yeah. mask? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, her mom was very supportive of the modeling. Um, Barbizon Modeling School's they were all over the U.S. and every year they held a model of the year competition. So Mary was chosen to go to D.C. to compete. I think there are about 300 other ladies and there are three categories um, based on height, size, petite, medium and tall. Mary won the medium, uh, but not the entire model of the year. And she also entered 17 Magazine's teen model contest and was one out of eight out of 40,000. <laughs> That was chosen to go to New York to try for the cover. Uh, Mary really loved New York. She didn't win the grand prize, though. But she still was featured in the magazine and began getting a lot of work because of that. Did you read Seventeen magazine? Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. I collected them. I just loved. I wish I still had them. Me too. And Uh, YM? Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. They were the two. And I just started kind of getting into Sassy when it... uh, was going out so i i think it, i was still a little too young for that but my dad was nice enough to like let me buy these magazines <laughs> um my friend sent me an instagram message picture and it was from a teen magazine back in the day 
And on the cover, it was like a collage, mm-hmm. and it had Nick Carter, Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Devin Sawa all oh, on the cover. And yeah. for, that was my trifecta. Yeah, yeah. That was my holy trinity. Do you, of, you, uh, you read the teen beats as well? <laughs> yeah, for those three yeah. guys specifically. <laughs> oh, well, I will mention one of them again. Um, did you hear that Nick Carter... Yes, it, oh, I did. He's Adam to the list of people that. Yep. Damn it, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> so you know what? I, I think I I have to stop talking about him in a loving way. Yeah. I think I've got to let that go. It's time to. So, he ain't the sweet. Nope. No. No, he ain't. So uh, Leo, Devin, I've still got you guys. Yeah. All right. Go ahead, Links. So. It's actually really good that Mary didn't win this 17 grand prize because part of it included a car and her life would have taken a much different turn had she won that car. So it was a blessing. Yes. Okay. So her mom remarried a Navy man named Mark. Mary approved of him, but soon after they were married, he was transferred to New Jersey and her mom was pregnant again and they ended up moving there and she was booking modeling jobs in New York and everything was great, but... She hadn't planned on New York winters. Oh. And being a California girl, she was like, what is this? (laughs) So she decided to move back to L.A. She was going to live with her grandma, Rosa. So Mary's 15. She didn't want to attend high school anymore. And she bamboozled her poor grandma into signing a paper stating that she was transferring schools to get her um, high school records. And then she just didn't sign up anywhere else. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to bamboozle to get what you want. Yeah. She packed her bag. She took a Greyhound to Hollywood. <laughs> and at 16, she began living in a model's apartment. <laughs> so Mary was reg- regularly booking jobs now with all the teen magazines, like we said, like Seventeen, Sassy, YM. Uh, but with LA being so sprawling and with poor transit, Mary would often find herself late or lost. So she would hitch a ride with her fellow models, including then unknowns like Ali Larder, Amy Smart, Cameron Diaz. Yeah. Uh, But the agency was like, no more. Like, you need a chauffeur. We'll hook you up. And guess who the chauffeur was? Um... Scott Wayland. Oh! Yes. So this is... We're now in, like, 91... Uh, Scott is 23 years old. He's still struggling with his band, which was called Mighty Joe Young. Hmm. They weren't signed yet. Uh, for extra cash, he would drive models in his old 65 Chrysler <laughs> to their jobs for $8 an hour. And Mary became one of his models. So, I mean, did he know, like when he went to apply for the driving job, did it say in the paper specifically that it was for probably not for models? I don't know how he got hooked up with it, but that sounds like a a dream job for a rock star. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I should mention, I've read two books for this. I read Scott Whalen's book called Not Dead and Not for Sale and Mary's book called Fall to Pieces. So... I get I got your quotes here from both of them. Fantastic. 
So you did really, you did. I did a you, lot. She worked hard this week, guys. <laughs> yes. Reach out to links. Let her know. So Scott says, Mary was stunning, a San Diego surfer girl, aglow with the light of a cloudless sky, long flowing natural golden brown hair with streaks bleached by the California sun. Her beauty was otherworldly, almost painful. She carried a pain I couldn't name. She was painfully shy and hardly said a word. Our pain collided, but silently. Pain wasn't expressed, only sensed. So, Scott is 23, Mary's 16. And Scott has a serious girlfriend named Janina. Um, but he was definitely smitten with Mary. He said, love's obsession broke down my moral code. Love's obsession had me dreaming of Mary. And Mary says of their first meeting... When I felt instantly, or what I felt, was unlike anything I'd experienced before, yet I knew exactly what it was. I was hit and hit hard with the immediate knowledge that this was the one. I didn't question then or now whether those feelings were a good idea. They just were. Maybe it was the click that comes when you recognize your soulmate, the click that doomed Romeo and Juliet. Maybe I saw something in his face that asked me to love him. All these years later, I lean more toward the latter. Mm. so Mary was experiencing all the nerves that sort of come with your first crush and over time she kind of loosened up and they would chat and they grew more personal uh, Scott definitely had a fractured family life growing up as well and they really related to each other and they also both experienced like those black clouds of depression and things like that so that's what he was talking about with like the sadness and the pain that they kind of both had. He did tell Mary about Janina. So she, she did know he had a girlfriend. They became good friends with that underlying kind of tension. One day in the car, Mary was trying to prep for an audition and asked Scott to put on her makeup on for her. And they both write about this moment in their books. Um, Cause they were both sort of waiting for the other one to make a move, but neither did. And Scott said applying her makeup was the most sensuous moment he'd ever had. Uh, but Scott did stay faithful to Janina, and he chauffeured Mary around for about three months. But their time came to an end because his band, which was now called Stone Temple Pilots, had just been signed. And they recorded their first album and were about to go on tour. So Destiny was calling Scott other places. Hmm. Um, a few months later, though, Scott called and asked if she wanted to be part of their show for a night. So her and a friend dressed up and they threw condoms into the crowd with their band's name on it for like one of the songs. Uh, when she got there, it was actually Janina who did her makeup. And she says, the whole time she was working on my face, I was thinking how unfortunate it was that she was with my future husband. Oh, she knew. <laughs> Um, right before the show, Mary had that terrible moment of, oh my God, what if my future husband is terrible? But luckily, Scott Whalen was not terrible. She said, this man was something else, but oh my God, was he amazing. Standing on the side of the stage, watching Scott, listening to him, I knew he was going to make it. He doesn't just sing a song, he disappears into it. So a few months later, Mary had a new driver who was friends with Scott, and uh, asked if they could stop by his house one time. So she went in and Scott was like, do you want to hear some of my new album? And she was like, yeah, sure. So the new driver asked if she yes. wanted to go to Scott's house. Yes. 
So they plotted this. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Um, She says, the music started and suddenly I heard my name. Where did Mary go? Where did Mary go? It was a song he'd written called Wet My Bed. And I was in it. Yeah, it's called Wet My Bed. Um, Or somebody named Mary was, and it was about her. Or about me. I didn't know for sure, but my face was on fire. He turned around from the tape player and looked at me, and there it was. Oh, God, I'm going to marry him. And neither one of us moved. Days later, he was gone. So Scott Mm. left for tour. And Mary, she kind of dove deep into modeling. She actually got legally emancipated from her parents so that she could work internationally. She moved to Japan for a few months. She really hated modeling there, though. Hmm. She says it was very strict and unglamorous, and they, they weren't allowed to gain even an ounce. So what Mary did to get out of her contract was eat. <laughs> okay, Mary. She's yeah. a little rebel. Um, and in June of 93, she was involved in this really big Calvin Klein charity gala that was at the Hollywood Bowl. You can actually see footage of it on YouTube. Uh, for one of the looks, Calvin Klein had the woman walking in the men's underwear with nothing on top. They were just sort of holding their chests to cover themselves. But Mary, I guess she was feeling herself that night because she was like, I don't need to cover. And halfway down, she just put her arms down. So that sort of made her one of the most memorable models of the night. And And you can find that online? You definitely can. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And uh, Mark... Wahlberg that's when he was like Marky Mark and he's in that show as well so Mm. yeah I found it on YouTube so Mary also Mm. now had two best friends uh, Kristen Zhang and Ivana Milosevic good give that girl some friggin friends and within a year Charlize Theron would add would be the fourth in their little group sweet yeah they did everything together. They'd be out all day at the same auditions and then partying all night. Uh, Kristen was dating Nick Cage. And then I she dated uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> I think she actually was Leo's first model. Because I remember she... I think he took her to, uh, like, Romeo and Juliet or something. Like, the premiere. So, la la. That, yeah. That was, like, baby Leo and Kristen. Uh, Mary did date, but it was always very casual because she knew that Scott was like her to be. So she was, she, I guess no guy really had a chance with her. Um, she does mention some friends of hers being like Balthazar Getty, Eric Dane, Nick Cage, uh, the Sex Pistol, uh, Steve Jones and Anthony Kiedis. Uh, from uh, Chili Peppers. She really became good friends with him and she does talk about him uh, quite a lot in the book and um, when she was sort of at her worst he was there for her and uh, oh. yeah so she says the key to a lasting friendship especially with a musician is to never kiss them yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so Mary signed with a bigger modeling agency she signed with Wilhelmina she's getting tons of work despite the fact she was only five foot seven uh, but she did a lot of print work and music videos. She used to make two to five grand a day. But after booking jobs with Max Factor and Estee Lauder, her fees went to 20000 or more. No. Yeah. Just for like a day's Holy work. Holy moly. Yeah. 
So she was traveling around to all the fashion hotspots, Paris, Milan, Tokyo, you know, New York, everywhere. So she was achieving great success, but still had very bad bouts of depression. And she would sometimes be unable to move from her bed. Uh, One time she was in Paris shooting for Vogue and this wall of depression hit her and she stopped going to her castings. She was missing appointments. You know, that's such a good... Um, rem- like it's a healthy reminder of like you could be shooting for Vogue in yeah. Paris and still feel ultimately and totally depressed. Yeah. Okay. Success doesn't equal happiness. Money doesn't equal happiness. Exactly. Being a model doesn't equal yeah. happiness. It's- yeah. So yeah, she she couldn't get out of bed. She ended up calling her agency and begged them to get her out of there. Uh, they sent her to London instead. And a few days later, she got a message from Scott being like, I'm in London. Like, do you want to meet? Nice. And she said, I may have been lonely and depressed, but I had one thought and one thought only. Finally, that man and I are going to kiss each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they hadn't seen each other for about a year at this point. They went to a bar for drinks. They caught up. Apparently, Scott was getting like going getting up and going to the bathroom constantly and coming back and be like, I have something I want to ask you. And then he would make an excuse and leave. And finally was like, what do you want to ask me? Like what? And he was like, can I kiss you? Mm. <laughs> so she says, uh, we sat on the couch in the hotel lobby and kissed each other until five o'clock in the morning. Uh, I finally decided he was being too much of a gentleman. Do you want me to walk you to your room? She said that? Yes. Yeah. So needless to say, Mary stayed the night in Scott's book, he said, our sexual connection was even more powerful than I had anticipated. We came, we became one. The heavens opened. And Mary said, the only camera that matters is the one in my mind. And there is nothing about that night I will ever forget. Was that her first time? I don't know if it was her first time or not. It was their first time. But she doesn't mention anyone before him. So hmm. she didn't flat out say it was her first time though because mm, so. i don't think it could have been because it wouldn't have been that great probably yeah, <laughs> yeah i don't think the heavens would open on the first time <laughs> the heavens <laughs> <laughs> they open later yeah <laughs> give it some time but cool. whether it was or not mary ended up canceling all of her appointments and everything that week and decided to stay with Scott. And she actually traveled on their tour bus uh, to Germany with them. And she would go to their gigs and publicity interviews. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. She said, Scott and I hit all the pubs, saw all the sites and held hands everywhere we went. This was boyfriend, girlfriend stuff. And sometimes I thought my heart was going to fly out of my chest with joy. But... The trip was cut short because um, one of the guys on the band, one of his wives, were coming. And they were friends with Janina, who Scott very much was still with. So Mary got, yeah, Mary pretty much got kicked off the bus. And she says, it makes me shudder today to remember. But I begged, wept, sobbed, and shouted. I went to my knees crying, don't leave me, don't leave me. But Scott was adamant. It was as though something had hit a switch in him and I had to go. So Mary was supposed to go straight to work in Milan, but her depression from this whole incident kind of took over and she didn't show up to any of her bookings. She secretly flew home and just stayed in bed and left a lot of professionals pretty angry about that, I bet. Um, Scott sort of started with the excuses, you know, 
Janine has been there since the beginning. She's always supported me. I love her, but I'm in love with you. Um, he basically asked Mary just to wait, let life happen. Let's see what happens. <sighs> Mary did not like that, but she didn't really have much else she could do. She went back to work. She tried to forget him. Uh, in... 1993, Mary was now 18. She was in New York. She got a call from Scott who told her things with Janina were over and can I see you? Uh, They had a really lovely time. Scott ended up buying her this necklace with a flower on it, which Mary took to a tattoo artist and got it tattooed on her foot. Scott says, we were drawn to each other like shipwreck survivors. I had never heard a woman speak so openly of depression, for example. When Mary spoke that way, I was riveted by the sadness, by her extreme moods, by her needs, her fears, her beauty, her hunger for me, and my hunger for her. So they were in New York playing a gig, and after that gig, Mary went to find Scott, but they told her, oh, Scott just left. Uh, call the hotel so yeah she did he was like oh I have the flu please don't come Uh, he said I'll call you tomorrow so she didn't go drugs yeah so it wasn't until years later that Scott admitted that was the first night he tried heroin Mm. and he wasn't feeling like seeing her after that (laughs) Uh, and he didn't call the next day in fact Mary wouldn't see him again for another two years uh, it was hard to get away from him, though, as Stone Temple Pilots were blowing up. They were touring the world, winning Grammys. They recorded a second best-selling album uh, in September of 1994. And Mary began hearing the news that uh, Scott and Janina got married. Oh. Yes. So she heard through a mutual friend who was concerned about how she must be feeling about it. Uh, She says, I don't know how I actually drove home. When I got there, I ran through the front door and threw myself on the bed, sobbing so hard, I got dizzy. I cried for hours. I cried for months. I cried for nearly a year. Yeah, because she was convinced that she was like, yeah, they're over. Like, it's us now. Yeah, and this is my husband. And it's like, yeah, it's going to be her husband. But then now she has to not be the first wife. Yeah. So um, Scott does discuss his feelings at the time in his book, saying, in love with Mary from a from a distance, living with Janina up close, guilt was my best friend, my worst enemy, my motivator, and my tormentor. So over the next few years, uh, for Scott, they were kind of filled with fights and arrests and multiple rehab visits. And needless to say, his marriage wasn't exactly a happy one. Poor Janina dealing with all that. I mean... It's not her fault that Scott she was a book? like this. I don't think so, but I want her to. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Mary buried her sadness in work again, and day to day her mood kind of changed with the black cloud ever looming. Uh, her girlfriends were pretty worried about her. She began seeking help, trying everything from Chinese herbalists to sleep clinics and uh going on a bunch of different medications Zoloft, Prozac you know all those types of things Um, Mary also began thinking a little bit more about her future Uh, she knew modeling careers had a time stamp and unlike her friends who were looking into acting Mary felt more um, felt quite uncomfortable in front of the camera if she had to remember lines Um, 
So she actually enrolled in a few courses at Santa Monica College, um, English and pre-algebra, since she loved reading from her childhood days. Um, She began taking a step back from the model lifestyle, thinking maybe this is contributing to my my mood swings and my depression. And Charlize was now getting her foot into acting, and she actually helped Mary get a job uh, or an interview, sorry, at the United Talent Agency. And she was hired, and she sort of started from the bottom in the mailroom. And she was happy and really excited about it, but soon discovered black clouds can follow you everywhere and mm, even into the mailroom yes exactly so yeah she began again having difficulties getting out of bed and it's also around this time mary discovered cocaine oh yeah so anytime anybody discovers cocaine <laughs> it's like big uh-oh on that yeah. one yeah and yeah mary obviously had been well aware of scott's decline through all the news reports of his arrests and tour dates being canceled and things like that and she was really surprised when scott ended up calling her from the road uh he was in dallas and asked her to come uh he told her janine and him were separated and mary just couldn't resist and she did go uh scott was being shadowed by a sober companion then as part of a court order um, the whole band and her ended up at a strip club and she says how Scott wasn't even supposed to be drinking, but he was getting Mary to go to the bar and get drinks. Mm-hmm. And Mary was so naive. She didn't realize this isn't part of, you know, getting clean and sober. And- mm-hmm. Well, I think a lot of the times with sobriety, too, if you're like in a program for drugs, you're yeah. like, alcohol is fine. Yeah. Which, I mean, one leads to another if you're that in that type of headspace. No. Um, so yeah, she'd been with them a few days on this tour when someone finally mentioned the word wife and she had a flashback to the last time and realized like, I can't go through this again. So she decided to leave and she told Scott, I don't want to see you. I don't want to talk to you until you can give me an official piece of paper containing the words legal separation or divorce. Mm. But a few weeks later, Scott did just that. So he uh, he said, Mary, it's me and you now. And Scott and his brother Michael were in L.A. for a while and in full party mode. Unfortunately, Michael was very much like Scott in the partying way. Uh, he had his own addiction issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary began to join them, and they were sort of casually dating now but scott's erratic behavior meant he'd sometimes go missing for weeks and then show up again and scott just briefly what's what was his upbringing like was it pretty rough scott yeah i think um his parents divorced when he was young and he actually does talk about that another boy at school raped him when he was like 13 or Mm so um yeah so he definitely went through he had some trauma early on it's interesting, though, because he was also, um, not that these two things have anything to do with each other, but he was like a high school football quarterback or something. Oh, was he? Just not what you expect when you see him on stage. Yeah. Like, dancing and everything. And But yeah, he has an interesting life story for sure. Um, Scott said about this time... The romance with Mary always felt like a foot race. Her catching up with me, me with her. We'd break up to make up and start all over again. She'd swear me off. I'd swear her off. But my need for her was as great as my need for beautifully destructive drugs. I knew he was going to make a metaphor for addiction there. 
for months, we could be happy together, protecting each other from the cruelty of a world that didn't understand us. Only we understood each other. Then for months, we'd stay apart, realizing the futility of trying to forge two spirits moving in different directions. But they were definitely moving in the same direction when it came to drugs. Uh, Mary was battling a cocaine addiction uh, that was really sparking off dark places in her. She realized she needed help. She checked into a recovery center. And after a week of detox, she was supposed to be sent to um, a center in Pasadena called Impact. But it turned out Scott had also reentered and was there. So... In Mary's book, she talked. Yeah, <laughs> in Mary's book, she talks about how when the doctors found out, they sent Mary to a different place because obviously that's not going to be healthy. Yeah. But in Scott's book, he actually says that he told the doctors like, "Do not bring her here because that's not good." But either way, they they did not go to the same rehabs. Scott ended up staying the whole time. Mary checked out after five days. She just wasn't ready, I guess. Uh, he called her and asked her to come to some AA meetings with him. And eventually he started getting day passes out of rehab and they became three day passes and then with no escorts. And I don't know, they must have felt some sorts of normalcy and forgotten their addictions because one day when they were out and on this lovely date, Mary was like, you know, what? beer would be really nice right now. And of course, by the end of the night, they were both completely wrecked and scoring coke off some hookers uh-huh. yeah they both ended up uh feeling pretty ashamed of their setback but this won't be the first one in the spring of 99 scott and mary went to fashion week together as a couple i think this was about the first kind of times that they were publicly you know showing the world that they were a couple uh both their publicists thought it'd be a great idea uh Mary talks in her book about how when they would travel together now and they they would have a strategy where they would call a doctor from the hotel to scam um, things like liquid codeine and things like that. So like one of them would pretend to be sick while the other was like, oh, like Mary's like, you know, just had this throat thing for a while or something like that. Um, and they'd also go to local hotspots in search of dealers, anything they could get their hands on. Um, to give you an idea of how bad things were getting at this point, um, <clears throat> while at a club, Scott tried to stop Mary from snorting a line of coke and heroin, which is a speedball. He thought it would be too dangerous for her, and she punched him in the jaw, and she yelled on the, in the middle of the street like about how he was a drug hog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, they also missed their plane ride home. And, of course, their the band and Scott's sober chaperone is like, um, clearly there's things happening here. But they they weren't ready to admit it, I guess. They were trying to play it off like, no, we're fine. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, yeah, sometimes. Ball, what's that? Is that what it, no, I like. It's, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So sometimes they did have bouts of guilt that would kind of set them straight for a while. Uh, they would go get clean. They'd go to AA meetings, try to be productive, but they were also um, slipping and they were living together now as well. So they kind of had each other. Uh, Mary had never been a heroin user, but seeing Scott get off on this blissful high 
sort of proved too tempting. And the day came where she wanted to feel that experience with him. And uh, Mary went straight to needles. She Bleh. went full-fledged. Um, Scott also had very dark moments. Uh, so their come downs were really as epic as their highs, but just in a really bad way. And it actually turns out that Scott was bipolar and had already been diagnosed. So around this time, they began sort of taking therapy sessions together. And um, a doctor first suggested that Mary also be bipolar. She really brushed it off at that point. She was like, no, uh, but it's it seems like there have been signs of that. Uh, both Scott and Mary kept journals and this was part of Scott's book and I think it really sums it up as heated as the passion is between us passion that borders on mutual obsession we do everything together and everything is an adventure it's Bonnie and Clyde rock and roll hell on wheels we know we're going to crash but we keep on going get a place in Hollywood Spanish Moroccan chic perfect for who we think we are we're off on a run of speedballs of legendary proportions. Mary's new at it, but I've never seen anyone escalate to such a high level in such a short period of time. Mary is my match, my equal, my heart, my soul, my love, my drug. The run takes us from coast to coast, jet-setting with her fashion friends to New York, hanging with movie stars in L.A., but what goes up has to come down, and it does, hard. After a while, we're the only ones who think we're looking good and doing well. We can't keep appointments. We go through hundreds of thousands of dollars. Our friends start questioning every move. Some friends walk away. We start questioning ourselves. It's all right for me to despise myself, but I can't stand seeing Mary do that to herself. That sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. Scott ended up being sent again to a court-ordered sober living house, um, but he would leave every morning and go score with Mary. Um, Mary mentions that she has no idea where he was getting all this drug for your urine, but he was doing these tests when he would go back. and He knows people. In yeah. Um, Mary, Mary said, the days run together, the drugs run together, and the rehabs run together too. <laughs> so... They both survived at in the, at this period in their life uh, overdoses that could have been fatal, but magically weren't. They really both did get lucky. Uh, Scott accidentally took an anti-opioid med once, thinking it was Xanax, and it sent him into full withdrawal, and he ended up getting violently ill and had to be rushed to the hospital. Uh, they ended up calling the sober living house, who called the judge, and uh, he was sentenced to a year, which was reduced to six months, and Scott was put into a drug program. So Scott was clean by the time he left, but Mary, she was out and partying still. Um, but Scott was like, I can't be around you if you're still like that. So he sort of gave Mary an ultimatum, like get clean or get lost kind of thing, but probably in a nicer way than mm -hmm. I just said it. Um, Mary really goes into great detail about the times she's tried to quit cold turkey and her rehab stints and all the psychological goings on like during this period in her life. I can't go into everything right. because of time. Um, obviously, the journey was not an easy one. And as always, her book is fantastic. And those who want to hear more about like that journey, I highly recommend you read the book. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's plenty more. And uh yeah, so basically Mary chose Scott and she did end up going into a rehab and getting clean. 
So they were both sober and together to ring in the year 2000. Um, they went to 12-step meetings and therapy together and were doing their best. And one morning, Scott jumped start naked out of bed and bent down on one knee and asked, like, will you marry me? And uh, within a month of getting engaged, Mary was pregnant. They were married that May in 2000. And they were happy and just so in love. And apparently they both couldn't stop crying at their wedding. And they mm. had to have their vows read for them because mm -hmm. they were just both sobbing. Um, after the wedding, Stone Temple Pilots were doing a big tour. Uh, so pregnant Mary went on the bus with them. Uh, I thought it was really cute. We we hear about like the magical moments of touring and mm. the glamorous side, but uh, I really liked what she said here. Uh, Throughout the years, I've been privileged to see some astonishing concerts. I've loved losing myself in the music, lights, and even smell of an arena. But one downside of being side stage instead of in the audience is having to let go of the sense of fantasy that drew you to the music in the first place. When you travel with the band, you always see the man behind the curtain. Turns out the mighty Oz is just a group of guys, and sometimes watching grown men bicker about who's got the missing eyeliner sort of crushes mm -hmm. the vibe. <laughs> yeah and they stink yeah and they usually eat pretty bad yeah oh yeah nothing really glamorous once you're <laughs> on, the, on the road so let's just take a moment to step back from you know their life and talk a little bit about scott's writing so pretty much every personal song um that stone temple pilots and scott did some solo albums every time they were about up until that point, they're about Janina, including Sour Girl, which is their biggest hit. And I think a lot of people think that's actually about Mary because but, of the timeline. Yes. But yeah, it, that was that was about Janina. And Mary talked a little bit about her thoughts on this. She said, I understood what he was writing and why, but I never felt at ease with it. So many of the songs were about the end of that marriage. Did I feel guilty? Sure, I did. And possessive, too. I didn't want to hear those words. So Scott had written a lot of uh, material during their worst drug period as well. And that kind of was always a reminder for Mary. She said, objectively, I could admire the work, but subjectively, I didn't want it as a touchstone for the beginning of our life together. Um, Stone Temple Pilots' next album was called Shangri-La-Di-Da, and it was recorded right after their son, Noah, was born. That happened on November 19th in 2000. There's a lot of songs about Mary on that one, including Hello, It's Late, Bipolar Bear, uh, Wonderful, and Black Again, mm -hmm. to name a few. There's actually um, a Courtney Love song on it as well, Tell Too Cool Queenie. I think mm. I mentioned it in her episode. So. Um, so Noah would be 17. Yeah. Turning 18. Yeah. He online? Yeah. Is he online? Um, he I on Instagram? Know. Probably. Everyone mm. is nowadays. Mm. Um, Mary was like I assume most mothers which is kind of overwhelmed by this new life she was responsible for and she did experience postpartum depression on top of her usual you know black clouds and everything and she also had Scott again to worry about because I think it was the day after Noah was born he went to a dentist appointment and he came back with a bottle of Vicodin and a prescription and that was it he was back you know, doing drugs. So for Mary, even though the pull was there, she knew she couldn't go down that road again with now that she had like Noah to 
you know, she has a kid and um, she hoped that kind of thinking would eventually kick in for Scott. But by Noah's first birthday, he was still popping pills and they ended up having a huge blowout while Stone Temple Pilots were in Vegas. Um, She caught him pulling their old trick um, at the hotel, Mm -hmm. calling a doctor for some drugs and she tried to stop him um, and she tried to stop him physically too but Scott ended up grabbing her and forcefully sort of removing her out of his way and Mary did the only thing she could think of to stop him which was call hotel security and they ended up calling the police and Scott was arrested for battery Uh, Mary makes it very clear in her book that Scott had never hit her in their entire relationship um, he, that was not the type of man he was, but he, she did have a few bruises on her wrist from him grabbing her to, to move her out of the way. And she just didn't know how else to save him. So, uh, she had no intention of testifying against him or like taking it any further than just stopping him in that moment. Mm-hmm. But Scott actually pled guilty to it. Uh, well, yeah. Well, guilt seems to be a real um, yeah. trigger for them and yeah. a real, real source of something exactly. in their lives. So. so the tabloids really had a field day. You know, crazed druggy rocker beats wife on son's first birthday. But uh, Mary felt really awful, obviously. But her actions did lead to Scott going back into rehab. And Mary discovered pretty soon after that that she was pregnant again. So Scott was in and out of rehab during this entire pregnancy. Uh, When Mary went into labor, he was still in rehab, but had planned with staff to have like a pass for him to make it in time for the birth. Unfortunately, he arrived at the hospital one minute late. So he missed his daughter's birth by one minute, but at least he was there, I guess. Got to see her. Um, because of Scott's rehab stints and court-ordered sober housing and everything, they really weren't living together anymore because he was always under supervision. Um, sh- they tried to see each other when they could, and Mary really did not want to admit, admit defeat, especially now that they had a family. But um, I think she did file for divorce at this time, but then dropped it you know she didn't she did want to make it work the band however had had enough of scott at this point and stone temple pilots ended up breaking up yeah mary had been hanging out with susan mckagan wife of guns and roses bass player duff mckagan ah i've heard that name before we've heard that name before so mary was like duff and slash and matt sorum and they're working on this new project and they were thinking about Scott as a singer and Mary was really excited because all these dudes from Guns N' Roses uh, are recovered addicts mm-hmm. at the time and she felt they might be a good influence on Scott, especially since they all had families and like lived the family life and the rock star life. At first, he really wasn't interested, but after going to jam and he's to see what happens he realized like they really did have a good vibe together and they were making like a lot of money right away. Like they were already in high demand. So velvet revolver came to be Okay, in 20, sorry, in 2003, Scott was arrested twice. Police found heroin in his car. And then on his 36th birthday, he hit a parked car. So yeah, he's still, uh, well into drugs he ended up again in detox and a residential rehab and when mary and the kids were visiting one day they decided like this is 
we got to stop this. So again, they were like, let's, let's deal with the divorce. But then something incredible happened. Uh, the last court ordered stint seemed to work and Scott kicked his addiction and they decided once again, let's make this work. So Scott's clean for now. And they're like, yes, wow, let's make this, this is work. years of addiction. Yeah. I can't believe how his body and his mind must have been affected by all of those chemicals. I know. Um, so, yeah, while Scott was getting his shit together, Mary was thinking about her and her kids future. And she and Christine Kushner, uh, guitarist Dave Kushner's wife, developed um, a business called Double Platinum. They made high-end goodie bags for celebrities and VIPs for major events like the Oscars and the Grammys and things like that. That's like such an ex-model, yeah. like, <laughs> rock star wife. Yeah. What am I going to do now? I, actually, I think she actually says Business. in her book, like, I've always been good at buying things, so I thought I'd be putting together goodie bags like, might be a good job oh. for me. <laughs> But yeah, they did have success. They were like getting good jobs. They did Oscar events, Grammy events. Um, so Velvet Revolver recorded their first album and they were going to go on tour. And this time Mary and the kids came on the tour for Scott. And they did, I don't, I think it might have been their first music video uh, called Fall to Pieces. Thank you for telling me to watch that. I really... Um appreciated what you were doing there yeah. and now i'm like that was slash that i saw yeah, yeah. so i was kind of confused i'm like why is slash here because i got could i did i forgot that this the velvet underground wasn't stone temple i mean velvet revolver Robert. wasn't stone temple pilots um mm-hmm. and i was like started what i've had a very emotional weekend like you know i told you i went to a sensory deprivation float tank i've been oh. teaching a lot of yoga so i'm just in like a sensitive little shell and i was watching this youtube oh. video for fall to pieces and i was like oh my god i really feel this i know right <laughs> yeah and that's the thing um this video scott wrote this song right after they broke up and mary first mentioned the divorce mm-hmm. so he was dealing with the his band breaking up and then his what he thinks is his marriage breaking up and the video tells this story from his their early days when he's the driver and there's even a clip of it him doing her makeup in the car yeah okay and uh yeah then it shows the drugs and arrests and fights and uh, mary said what i like most about that video is scott's honesty he never hid his struggles not only with drugs but with me as well unlike most videos this was genuine and authentic that said the drug scenes the overdose scenes were horrific the love between us was there but the memories those scenes were based on were so sad so that's mary in the video with him mm-hmm. yeah she i was like she looks like a combination between Courtney Love and Taylor Swift. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. she had blonde hair then, so wasn't her. Uh, I know her more with darker hair. Also, this uh, over this past you know year doing this podcast, um, I made a friend, and she's had an ongoing relationship with Slash. I won't say who it is. Oh, but yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> if you've been sort of like following along, then you might be able to figure it out. I love Slash. His hair. He's got some of the best rock and roll hair. Apparently she calls him. Uh, she she does not call. Nobody calls him by his first name because he hates that. So oh. everybody calls him Slash. Yeah. 
So around this time, the Waylands almost became a reality show. Mary pitched the idea to VH1 because she was really sick of the depiction of addicts and especially Scott in the media and their relationship. And she sort of wanted to have a voice in the way that they were depicted. And they actually did a pilot, but it wasn't picked up because former users who are now living a normal domestic life don't really make riveting TV, I guess. Um, So, yeah, unfortunately, that didn't happen. Or fortunately, I don't know. Depends on how you look at it. Mm -hmm. In 2005, Mary turned 30. She decided to throw her own prom slash Sweet 16 since she never had one. Uh, it was pretty and pink themed, and I found some amazing photos from that party. There's ones of like Anthony Kiedis and Ioni Sky there, who used to date but weren't anymore, but they were like in a couple. And uh, Mary and Scott, they look so funny. And I'll, I'll I'll post it on the Instagram Great, for sure. Great, to see it. And also, there's a photo of like Charlize and Kristen and Mary and Ivana, and they're like. I was hoping that there would be 80s. a picture of them all yeah. together. Yeah, they're adorable. You, you can tell that they're like best friends. And in uh, July 2006, they renewed their vows in Bali. So when they did this, they were both really struggling. Mary had her black cloud issue and Scott with sobriety and he was getting restless. He was still sober, but he was like getting restless and um, they were in counseling. So I think this renewal was sort of like them trying to re-spark something there. Um, And they did have a great time and everything, but once they got back home and reality kind of sunk in again, Scott was busy. He was working on his second album, uh, and he was also working on solo work and Mary began slipping into a deep depression. And I think Scott wrote about it in the song. There's a velvet revolver song called Mary, Mary. Mm. So yeah. Um, and then in 2007, Scott's brother, Michael died Mm. and Mary had been very close with him as well. So piling that on all the issues that they had already, both Scott and Mary ended up turning to alcohol as a way to cope, which was really bad. Um, And I think that sort of led to Scott just going back into drugs again. And uh, during one manic episode with Mary, she went to a hotel room that he was staying in and she just tore it apart and she ended up getting arrested and uh, they let her go and then later that day, she was so angry still with Scott and everything. And yeah. she she called Scott because he was nowhere to be found. And he was like, I'm busy. I'm working on my solo album. Like, the kids, they're like, I'm not letting you see them right now because you're crazy. And Mary ended up going back to their house. And she lit $80,000 worth of Scott's clothes on fire in their driveway. So the cops came again and arrested her and the media caught wind of this and again had a field day with them and child protective services had to get involved. And this was a real turning point when for Mary when it came to um, therapy and treatment. Okay. Uh, part of this situation, everyone around her was like, you need help. Scott tried to put her in a hospital, but she kind of talked her way out of it. But bamboozled yes she was good at that 
but she did recognize that she needed help. So she started going to therapy and things like that. And at this part in the book, she really like those who are interested in mental health awareness and this side of Mary's journey should really, again, read the book. Um, Her book is about, I think the, it's called fall to pieces, Mm -hmm. but then it's like um, a bipolar rock and roll drug journey kind of thing. So yeah, she got uh, diagnosed with bipolar, just like Scott and started taking meds for that and she does talk a lot about what bipolar is and um, how that related to her entire life and it's really really interesting I wish I had more time to go into all of that but maybe that's better you know you go you go read the book there's lots there so just as Mary was beginning to pick herself up again Scott was having another relapse and uh, yeah they both were just trying not to face the reality that this isn't working um, Scott was dealing with issues with the band as well because they were kind of like having enough of this as well. And Mary buried herself in a birthday party for him. She was like throwing some Studio 54 roller disco party for mm. him. And she sort of had it in her head, whatever happens tonight is going to affect our relationship. Like either this is it or there's a still spark here. And I think Scott said something to her and she was like, no. I've had enough so on on his birthday they were like we're let's go through with the divorce this time so yeah they were separated scott put out a second album solo album he had his own how did it do i don't think his solo work were like very well sold it was okay. definitely you know a side project yeah, but the second album is called Happy in Galoshes, and it really does center around the end of their marriage. And Mary had expected this, but she was still really shocked when she heard it. Uh, she called it cruel. Mm. Uh, she also expressed shock um, when Scott started talking about their personal lives while doing press. In Scott's book, he said, I know that my songs are hopelessly entangled with my obsession with Mary. I see my passion for her as a force that never stops. I'm forever chasing her. Mm. So Mary published her book in 2009 and Scott published his in 2011. Apparently, they remained sort of supportive of each other. He gave her his blessing when she uh, put it out. Scott remarried in 2013. But as we know, he passed away December 3rd, 2015. Mm -hmm. They did find multiple drugs in his system, MDMA, cocaine, alcohol. Um, There's a letter that Mary wrote to Rolling Stone after his death. In it, she mentions, which I thought was really strange, especially because her book was like so involved in mental illness and everything. She, She stated that she was misdiagnosed as bipolar, which... Yeah, it was quite shocking okay. to me. Um, I feel like she should write another book then because there must be a whole other journey yeah. like after that. Uh, she also talks about how those years from her publishing her book to then, Scott was an incredibly absent father and continued to struggle with addiction. And she really kind of wanted... Um, she wrote it with her kids and they really wanted to make sure not to glorify... Scott's life and death like don't play up the rock star you know drugs and partying and like that's like that's a positive yeah um 
I yeah, well, Tom Petty never really came out about his yeah. uh, heroin addiction because he did not want to, even at all, even if by saying, don't do this yeah. ever, he didn't even want to give anybody the idea that, well, Tom Petty did it, though. Even yeah, if he's exactly. telling you not to do it, he did it. Yeah. So. Yeah. And yeah, his kids have been very vocal about that, too. Um, Ma- I couldn't find much on Mary on what she's been up to lately, unfortunately. Her book ended with saying that she was studying for a certification in a drug and alcohol counseling. Mm. So I'm not sure if she moved forward in that area or not. I think she would be great in it because her book is so interesting. And she- You know what? Even after listening to all of that, it really does make me feel like even after listening, I would still be curious to yeah. check the book out. So There's I think that's so good to know there. for our listeners yeah. too. Is that like... And yeah, like my, my thing is I put two books together. Yeah. So obviously it's, it's hard enough to do one book in an hour, but to do two... There's plenty, plenty more material there for anyone who is interested in their story and certainly interested in mental illness and addiction and those, how they tie into each other. It really seemed like, you know, because he died in 2015, um, like, it's like he was doing drugs for longer than he hadn't in his life. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And yeah, he's one of those unfortunate people who just... uh, they could never sobriety never stuck obviously mm-hmm. when he slipped he kind of slipped hard yeah i think even his wife said that she kind of knew like he wasn't coming back yeah yeah mary's been fighting some battles trying to get her kids in their money that they should be getting and things like yeah. that so she's still Oh, and you did ask about their kids. I don't know if they're very public on social media, but it was Scott's birthday uh, like last month. And on his birthday, they posted this adorable Spotify list uh, with songs that remind them of their dad. And they like wrote out why each one reminds Holy, them. Holy, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, he was... That's really re- digging deep, Links. Yeah. <laughs> you can find that too. It's... um. I found that on his Facebook or the Stone Temple Pilots Facebook. I cool. Think. But yeah, his kids are trying to keep the memory alive while also trying to keep the story alive in that this isn't a, something to glorify. This is something to learn from. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for a wonderful episode telling me a story tonight. And, um, yeah, I certainly learned some some new things. Cool. It was very insightful. And you look really beautiful. Oh, thank you. I kept thinking about the whole time. <laughs> I kept going back and forth between the cat. looks so cute right now. <laughs> to Lynx looks so beautiful. To the, oh my God, look what he's doing now. The cat is so cute. To like, oh my God, Lynx, you look so beautiful. <laughs> well, I'll take it. Thank you. Okay, so maybe I'll see some of you guys tonight at the Toronto Reference Library. Yes. For the great debate. And if not, Then we'll see you again next week. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Hello, dear stranger. I'd like to introduce you to something new. Or perhaps something very, very old. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine is a horror fantasy medical mystery following the titular monk turned traveling medical investigator. Follow Radolf as he navigates a nightmare world in which viruses are gods 
and the human race are not their favorite children. Steeped in history and an aesthetic that can only be described as a combination of occult academia and laboratory Judaica, the heresies of Redolf Burntwine have been described as Umberto Eco meets H.P. Lovecraft. For more information, check out the Patreon at thorb.info. But take care, dear stranger, for some truths are best left unknown.